In this episode, Nelson Nash and I discuss the genesis of NNI, the Nelson Nash Institute. Let there be light, and Sir, there was. Then there light, there was. You know, really, a couple of you know words, just just uh, you know, going back to the the genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, That's the first book, right? <laughs> Actually, it was before the first book. Yeah. Right, but then <laughs> when you wrote the first book, becoming your own banker. I talk about Genesis. Oh yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah, that's the big book. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, in the beginning. Yeah, right? that's sixty-six of them. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your book. Oh, oh you, you mean this one? This have, one. Have you read that one? I have read that one. All right. I can't tell you how many times. Okay. Been pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Read the whole thing three times. You know? Do you know what it says? Yeah, I mm-hmm. do. Okay. I believe I do. Mm-hmm. I'm still searching in case I missed yeah. anything. All right. But when you when you created the uh, the think tank, right, and then it evolved into IBI, mm-hmm. and now it's the Nelson Nash Institute (NNI). Mm-hmm. You didn't. Uh, you didn't envision this or create no. this for a bunch of agents no. to sell a bunch of life insurance. No. Why did you do that. what you did? Why? Yeah. Well, the vision uh, that uh, there's something wrong out there in the financial community, that uh, banking is necessary for our existence the way that we live today, uh, it's got to be. But the, the function is in the hands of the wrong people. And uh, when you look at it in depth, you'll find that, that they're evil to the core. Uh, anybody that would lend money that doesn't exist is evil. And uh, charge interest on it? Yeah. 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 And so uh, if uh, they understand this concept, uh, it's real money. Uh, and it's in a place that cannot inflate the money supply. There's this real good uh, video out there called Banking with Life. Have you ever seen that one? I have. Anyway, uh, there's about 13 personalities in that uh, video, including yours truly, but the third one, I believe, is a guy named Paul Cleveland, who's a good friend and uh, alternate economist there in Birmingham, Alabama. And he points out that uh, money is not wealth. Money is uh, a good, uh, wealth is goods and services. That money is the medium of exchange whereby we acquire uh, wealth. And uh, the, the money function out there, as I say, is in the hands of the wrong people because all you got to do is just see what's happened during my lifetime. Uh, how uh, the uh, money supply has increased big time well, what that did was it diluted the power of the of the uh, of the medium of exchange. Okay, I graduated from college in 1952, went on active duty with the Air Force for a couple of years because I was an ROTC student, and that was one of the ways I worked my through school, my way through college. The uh, other way was uh, two part-time jobs all the time uh, when I was in college. 
All right. So uh, anyway, uh, do you have any idea what a second lieutenant's base pay was in 1952? $213.75 a month, every month, whether you liked it or not. Now you had $75 a month uh, housing allowance. You had $42 food allowance. And you know we got along very well on that. That compared with everybody else, we live rather good. Well, uh, consider what's going on out, out, out there today. Absurd. Uh, it's increasing the money supply doesn't solve anything at all. Well, who calls this? Bankers. They're the only ones that can inflate the money supply. So it's in the hands of the, of the wrong people. Well, uh, there's uh, uh, real money out there and there's funny money out there. But people can't tell the difference because uh, they're just digits to them and such. But uh, uh, you certainly know about this place called uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the biggest race riot ever occurred was we're talking about what 1922 23 which one is 1921 1921 yeah yeah there was that black community there that was uh relatively very wealthy well um uh it was tragic what happened there as far as the death but the thing about it is that human beings have a tendency to fixate on the tragedy but they don't look at the cause well find out what the cause is and uh, the uh, the cause had to do with the fact that uh, the Tenth Commandment was in effect, uh, thou shalt not covet. Can you imagine uh, uh, poor white trash watching these real uh, rich black guys living close by? Well, that uh, led to a disaster. Yeah, but what, why did the uh, black guys get rich? Money never changed the community until it turned over 30 to 100 times. All right. Let's go back to Paul Cleveland in, in this great video called Banking with Life. You ought to watch that. All right. Uh, so uh, wealth is goods and services. So one uh, guy uh, uh, rendered a service somewhere, and what did he get as compensation? Money. Money. All right, that's real money, isn't it? That's a, 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 a representation of something that was, uh, was real wealth. So therefore, that's real money. Okay, so he's got that, uh, that real money. And there's another black guy over here that's got something he'd like to sell, and it just happens that this guy would like to buy that. So they strike a deal uh, based on uh, the monetary uh, denomination. All right, so the money flowed from here to this guy, and the goods uh, flowed over here. All right, now when he's got that money, he finds somebody else, and so money never left the community until it turned over 30 to 70 times. Well, that's the secret of it all there. Well, well, contrast that with what goes on out there in the big wide world. You know, 
human beings love to have um, designations behind their names. You know, MD, PhD, so and so and so, CRNA, all that kind of nonsense. Well, then life insurance is chartered life underwriter, CLU. Now, you got to understand something. You get in the life insurance business and you've got to become a member of uh, life underwriters. And if you're going to be anybody at all, you got to be head guy sometime down the way. And sometime the way that you've got to become a CLU. Well, I, when I went through the course, it was uh, uh, 10 parts and uh, uh, took a couple of years. It was equivalent to a, a master's degree anywhere. And uh, one of the uh, books that uh, parts was economics. And of all things, the economics book that they used was Paul Samuelson's Economics. Uh, that's the textbook that all the colleges use. And so uh, the guy's borderline communist, good grief, if you extend what uh, uh, he's teaching. Uh, life insurance would cease to exist. They don't have life insurance in Russia. Good grief. All right. Uh, so here I am studying that course, and um, I come across this idea that Samuelson's describing. He says, the government taxes the economy $10 billion. Well, that's money coming into the uh, uh, government. Right, James? Yes, sir. All right. Now, the government's going to spend it, he says. And it'll turn over three times. And so that stimulated the economy. Well, being of the Austrian school of thought for some 62 years now, uh, uh, I deliberately failed that course. I've only failed one course in my life, and it was economics. Uh, for CLU studies. That's funny. I don't now, care who you are. I'm also pretty proud of the fact that when I was in college, uh, the first year there, there's Econ 101, and I'm at a D plus. That's Delta plus, not Bravo plus. Okay, I'm proud of that fact because that way I didn't have to wash so much nonsense out of my brain. All right. Anyway, so I deliberately failed the course for CLU studies. On the final examination, I said, yes, so what Samuelson said here is true, but this is also true. Al Capone, the notorious gangster, he steals $10 billion from the American public. He's going to spend it. That'll turn over three times. That stimulated the economy, too. Therefore, we should have more Al Capones. And they didn't see any sense of humor in that at all. They fought me. I took the course over, gave them their answers, and they gave me a designation. And I've got a, a uh, what do you call it, certificate, whatever, that uh, is all framed and so forth, that I'm a CLU. Well, uh, eight years ago, uh, uh, getting old and stuff like that, that where we were living, there was more room and more uh, yard to keep up with and we needed to be doing it our ages. We downsized and I found that diploma. It was in a closet facing the wall. 
And I was going to ask can it, but David says, no, I'll keep it. And so I hung it in my garage. So if you want to come see my COU study, my COU designation, uh, come visit my garage when you come to Birmingham next time. All right. All right. So the Nelson Nash Institute. Yeah. Banking is in the wrong hands. Yes. The banking function. Yes. People don't really realize that. They, uh, if really, they've abdicated their responsibility. Sure. So um, you create this institute, though, it, it, but, and you didn't do it for agents to go out and write a lot of life insurance. No, that wasn't an objective, objective at all. There's just the means of accomplishing it. That is all. Uh you know, uh, Emerson said um, uh, the end pre-exists in the means. The end objective pre-exists in the means. Look to the means. Now, my mentor, Leonard Reed, uh, quoted Emerson quite a bit, and uh, I uh, always liked him, but when I found out that uh, he was highly influenced uh, at one point with uh, that guy from uh, Walden Pond, what was his name? Anyway, <laughs> we're all looking around the room. Yeah. Walden Pond. Yeah, yeah Walden Pond. Yeah, I can't see which thing right now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, those guys were the guys that caused the, the war of Northern Aggression. <laughs> and so I have a hard time quoting uh, Emerson as a result. But no, he was a good guy. But, you know, <laughs> It was a while people do get led astray, and uh, that's not good. Right. Yeah. But anyway, uh, life insurance companies, can, it's impossible for them to uh, in, to increase the money supply. It can't be done. All right, so uh, I meet this guy named James Netherin. He convinced me that uh, buying life insurance is a pretty good idea. Well, uh, I uh, signed my name on the dotted line, and I get examined and stuff like that, and policies issued. What am I going to have to give him? Money. What kind of money? Cash. Real money. money. Something that I've earned out there for goods and services of some kind or another. All right. Now, uh, 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 James is going to uh, earn something for his efforts there. Uh, that's real money that you got, right? Yes, sir. Okay, now the most of it is going to the life insurance company. Uh, it uh, is real money. Well, they've got to pay their hired help. You can't run in any business that admin stuff. It's impossible. That's real money to them. Well, most of it is going to uh, uh, build things that are like come downtown Birmingham and Fifth Avenue and 20th, 20th Street is a uh, civic center of Birmingham. There are four buildings there, and three out of four are, are either owned or totally financed by equitable life. That's real money. Am I right? Yes. All right. Now, uh, how do they recover the, that investment? Well, they provide office space and so forth. Well, what people got to give them? Real money. Real money. All right. So, you see, uh, if uh, we get this thought across to 
enough people out there that they can learn how to secede from the system. You don't have to change it from top down. Uh, it can't be done top down. It's impossible because uh, the, the uh, folks that uh, created all the inflation and so forth, bankers, uh, have been uh, poisoning the minds of people for such a long period of time. It's not going to happen. But uh, in that uh, community, uh, you can, uh, I uh, conjured up this phrase, James, uh, how to, uh, IBC is how to survive uh, in a hostile financial environment. And one of our practitioners uh, modified it. He says, no, how to survive, dash, dash, and thrive, dash, dash, in a hostile financial environment. So. You see, this is work in progress, and uh, people are adding to it all the time. So, you're pretty pleased with the uh, the 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 execution, you know, the structure, the activity of NNI, and what what's going on there, as far as you know, training agents in Austrian economics, and what you um, discovered, what you could do with life insurance and the structure and well, when I figured all this out uh, about 35 years plus ago, uh, I saw that uh, this uh, had to be uh, taught out there, and uh, it can't be taught top down. I tried that um, tack, and it was a miserable failure. And I thought academia was a way to get it taught, and that was even worse. And so I saw that it had to be done at the UNME level, and I also saw that uh, that I'm not going to live forever, that uh, I needed to uh, find uh, uh, people that would grasp this and take the baton and go. And uh, I had uh, a couple of abortions there with people that uh, had real good minds and so forth, but had problem with direction. <laughs> uh, uh, you ever heard the term vector? Yes. Vector is the force in the direction. Without both qualities, you don't have a vector. Okay? So to illustrate, uh, you know I'm an airplane driver. And so here's the airline pilot with his load of uh, passengers. And he says, uh, about halfway through the trip, says, folks, I have some good news and bad news. Uh, says, the good news is that we're making good time, but the bad news is we've lost our course. They're going to get somewhere they didn't mean to go pretty quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so uh, that was a real big blow and so forth. Well, uh, as time went by, um, uh, here was this guy named Carlos Lara that uh, uh, got interested in this. And uh, he didn't catch on immediately. It took a while. Uh, in which he, he readily admits, but uh, I guess he's got the most thorough uh, understanding of this of anybody I know. And uh, I've always uh, tried to get this across to my Austrian friends, but they're too busy with uh, uh, whatever they were pursuing, and uh, I, I never could get their attention at all. And uh, Carlos Lara, uh, somehow or another, uh, got up with a guy named Bob Murphy and lived there in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, how they uh, got together is an interesting story in itself that we don't have time to pursue right now. But anyway, 
it was Carlos that uh, convinced Bob that he had to read my book. And uh, Bob says that uh, he'd read the book. He says, well, he's right about everything, but there's 10 things that he's missing and so forth. So he reread re the book and he said, no, there's only nine that he's missing. And he finally got down to it. It wasn't anything. <laughs> it, was so, it was him. It's, well a funny story. it's a funny story the way Bob tells it. Well, uh, uh, we'll never get the mission done without the intellectual community. That's all there is to it. And Bob Murphy is the key to it. If there's anybody that understands it uh, totally, it's Bob Murphy out there. And he's the key to uh, the intellectual community. Well, uh, fortunately, my uh, youngest daughter married well, a guy named David Stearns. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, he wasn't all that enthused about buying life insurance when he first uh, married my daughter, but uh, that was the only way we get done. <laughs> So he was a slow learner too, but uh, there's no better practitioner of the concept out there than David Stearns. And so if there's anything that gives me uh, real joy uh, at this late stage in life today is that uh, uh, those three guys are everything I ever dreamed of. So the future is in great hands and there's great practitioners out there that... Uh, Life is good. Life is good. So it's going in the right direction. The delta is correct. See. Right. <laughs> That's good. Did we talk about that? <clears throat> well, we didn't use the word revolution and well, moving money from. Well, but. well, it is a revolution to individuals, but not, not the masses will never catch on to this. They'll never catch on to this. Uh, you see, they're so indoctrinated by the banking community that uh, when you try to describe something like this, uh, they think you're crazy. I see, when I first uh, saw this vision, uh, it was kind of an instantaneous thing. Uh, and uh, I tried to suppress it for two years because I said nobody would believe me. And uh, I can make a real good living just selling life insurance and uh, in teaching individual clients and so forth, and that would be it. But uh, the, uh, the the fire would not go out. I know what that burning bush of Moses is all about, that this had to be taught big time. And so uh, I started teaching it to uh, individuals, uh, small groups. Of, uh, well, the conference room that I used mostly held 18 people. And I was trying to get it done in uh, two and a half hours' time, but it was going over everybody's head. And uh, uh, fortunately, I had uh, this experience years ago that uh, with a guy named Larry Wilson, Wilson Learning Corporation. He was the guy who created Council of Selling. Uh, he uh, was a school teacher had a real bad habit of spending 1.25 times income. Was he uh, a doctor? Huh? I'm kidding. Said, was he a doctor? <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, he he had to uh, uh, get another occupation, got in life insurance business, did extremely well. 
But it bugged him. He couldn't explain why was he good. He called himself an unconscious competent. And although he had four children at the time, he decided that uh, he was going to find out why. So he took off uh, a year and says, uh, I will uh, uh, find out why am I good. And uh, when you start uh, searching, the answers appear as if by magic. You got to want to, as they say, when it amounts to. And uh, uh, he found that the answers were there pretty much for the asking, but he also ran into something else. It's called synergism. Uh, he ran across the path of Bank of America, who was looking for uh, someone to create a sales training package for their bank. And that's how Council of Selling was born. It was a 40-hour block of instruction designed to be put on four hours at a time over a 10-week period of time. Anyway, you know, we became very good friends and such, and uh, uh, my uh, partner in the life insurance business back in those days with Equitable with Lamar Phillips, we used to put it on for the general public and such and such. So based on that experience, I saw that I was making a big mistake of trying to get this in a package of two and a half hours. And so I re re rewrote the course. Uh, and I, I just put it into five parts and designed to be put on two hours at a time over a five-week period. And then I got a group of 18 people. The uh, oldest one is 75. The youngest one is 25. Males, females, all different kind of occupations and such. I wouldn't let but one life insurance guy in the room. All right. Uh, at the end of the first session uh, there, uh, but 60% uh, of them hung around and wanted to ask questions. And I told them, go home. It's over. I'll be here Thursday night, 6 o'clock next week. Uh, and uh, I deliberately did not call a one. I wanted to see what would happen. 20 people showed up. Wasn't the same 18 people. But others said, you got to hear this. And by the third session, uh, they were all saying, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Now, you're too young to remember Paul Harvey, aren't you? No, I remember. Oh, okay. Well, now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the book came to be. So then you had a bunch of financial professionals and agents say, Nelson, we want to do this too. And how did, you know, the think tank develop out? Well, uh, I had been putting on the seminars before the book came out uh, quite some time, I guess for at least four years. I was using overhead projectors and box of slides and so forth and uh, stuff like that. And uh, anyway, this this guy up in Iowa that said, uh, uh, yeah, you need to know Kim Butler in Phoenix, Arizona. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. Uh, and um, Anyway, I looked around for somebody to introduce me, and nobody ever, ever could. Couldn't find anybody. Finally, I gave up and just called her. She wasn't in. She returned my call, and I wasn't in. We played tag for probably five uh, sessions before we finally, finally, get, finally got together. 
anyway, uh, uh, she, I was early one morning, I was out in the yard puttering around and very yells at me to telephone. Kim Butler's on the phone. And uh, I introduced myself and said, I wrote this book, uh, the manuscript. Uh, I'm going to send it to you. I'd like to see what you think of it. Anyway, uh, she said, I've been looking for this for years and such. So anyway, uh, my wife and I have been working with Dr. Clarence Carson on publishing books and so forth. Carson, uh, Carson was my number two man. Leonard Reed was Foundation for Economic, Economic Education was my head guy, but the number two man was uh, Clarence Carson, a historian there in Alabama. Uh, he wrote uh, history from an e economic point of view, financial point of view, well, economic point of view mostly. Anyway, uh, uh, we uh, worked with him for something like 22 years, and... Uh, uh, so, uh, it was, uh, the influence that I got from him about how to publish books and so forth. So we knew how to self-publish. And, uh, we knew something about ordering books and such. And so, how much, how many did they order from this printer that we'd been using for clearance? And, uh. Mary said 500, uh, that'll last forever. <laughs> anyway, so, so when I went out to do the seminar for uh, uh, Kim Butler, uh, she uh, bought 100 copies immediately. So I had uh, uh, placed an order for 2,000. Mary said, You've gone nuts. And so I called him and said, add that, add another thousand. <laughs> so said, well, uh, the book's done rather well. It's in 31 countries and changed the lives of lots and lots of people. So, Most of them you'll never meet. Sure. Right. Yeah. But it's pretty gratifying uh, to have them call and say, you changed my life. I said, no, I didn't change your life. You saw something of value and you changed. Uh -huh. Without you, it didn't happen. That, uh, back then, my North Carolina days when I was a uh, forester, uh, at one time I was president of the Chamber of Commerce. Well, that meant that uh, I got to uh, select the speaker for the annual meeting. Well, being an airplane driver, I picked William Piper, Piper Aircraft Company. Uh, he's about 82 years ago at that time, and I was about 30. I mean, what an experience to spend you and me time with a guy like that. So, anyway, uh, we had fun uh, just visiting, but uh, one of the messages he got uh, across so our group was, he says, uh, you have a telephone. Big deal. If somebody else doesn't have a telephone, you don't have a thing. All right. What's the message? 
You may have the best message in the world. You may have the best delivery system in the world. You may have the best technique in the world. But if you don't have a receptive listener, you don't have a thing. So the magic out there is that people see this vision and catch on guys like James Nethery. You know, uh, thank you for saying my name. You can throw that around all you want. It's all right. Yeah, it's okay. I've looked at, I've come to learn that, you know, it's really, the message is, is really ultimately freedom and controlling the bank. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> the means is just the life insurance structure. Correct? It's the only thing that meets the, uh, the, the uh, it's, it's the, it's the perfect solution. But people don't realize that because, you see, they've been concentrating totally on the uh, death benefit. And then of all things that uh, uh, after the advent of uh, World War II, uh, here comes uh, all these GIs off of active duty. And uh, the socialists that were in charge at that time uh, said, oh, that's going to ruin the economy. Well, it wasn't true, but, you know, they were running the show. Listen, we've got to give them something to do so that they'll uh, work their way into the economy over a period of time. And so let's send them to college. Not all that, uh, we will solve another problem. We'll increase the intellectual capital. And so we'll kill two birds with one stone. GI Bill, greatest thing ever happened. Well, what happened was 180 degrees opposite. Uh, Tom DiLorenzo, who's a very, uh, is a good friend, uh, we're first name basis, big time. Uh, he points out that uh, there was a, a, a totally opposite a result. That colleges became uh, diploma mills. And today we have people out there that have college diplomas that can't read the diploma. All right. So, those Harvard MBAs that came out that has created a uh, an atmosphere of uh, I guess you might call it a pecking order or something like that. But these are the folks that become the big time bankers, whatnot, that increase the money supply and so forth. And that's evil, but people don't recognize evil. Uh, you got to recognize what evil looks like. You got to recognize the devil is a, is a wily creature. Unless you understand what he looks like, uh, you won't recognize him. So the means here is a, a place that cannot inflate the money supply. And uh, if you had this uh, closed community that life insurance uh, creates, uh, it's always uh, increasing in value. Everybody should be doing this sort of thing, but that's uh, incomprehensible to most people. I don't know whether it'll ever happen or not, but uh, it doesn't matter whether it happens or not. You don't have to live that way. Again, how to survive and thrive in a hostile financial environment. Yeah. That uh, you can't describe the uh, joy and uh, peace of mind 
that comes from having the banks out of your life. You know, I've worked, I've done seminars for folks like you all over the country uh, for the last uh, 20 years plus. See, I'd been doing the seminars way before the book ever came out. Uh, anyway, uh, years ago, I was doing a seminar for this uh, guy in uh, Thousand Oaks uh, region of Los Angeles, high rent district. Oh, by the way, uh, that's another lie. I tell you, there's not a thousand oaks. I counted them. I'm a forester. There's only 976. <laughs> right. Anyway, the sponsor was Arkady Milgram, a Russian Jew that came here in uh, about 1989, I guess it was, something like that. Uh, he was able to uh, get out of Russia, but with only $100 in his pocket. That's all he could take out. Yeah. Done extremely well, never discovered the life insurance business until about uh, uh, eight years ago now. He had 25 Russians there, about 20 of us USA types. And um, halfway through the seminar, I'm telling people what a uh, peaceful, stress-free way of life it is when you get the banks out of your life. And a bolt of lightning hit my feeble brain about that time. God is good, I'll tell you. I said to myself, my word, what an opportunity. Right there in front of me on the front row is a lady doctor from Russia, a neurologist. I'm going to pick her brain right in front of everybody, and I have no earthly idea what that woman's going to say. I'm going to take a chance. Doctor, what part does stress play in medical maladies? Her response it all starts there. So I asked the group, in your life, in the life of your peers, what do you see is the biggest stress factor? A chorus came back, money. This is how to totally control the money factor in your life. In a place that cannot inflate it. But you got to get across the get across the message to the next generation. Well, what are they exposed to out there? Noise. Yeah, the hostile environment, big time. So you got to be patient uh, with them and so forth, and you got to. Well, you got to think. Okay, you know. Uh, there's some people that. Well, enough catch on. And you can't help it. But, you know, you just have to recognize that you can't force feed this sort of stuff. You can't inject it into their brains. They have to catch it. They have to be fertile soil, receptive to superior seeds. Now, uh, you know, when you do this sort of stuff out there, you you gonna run into some superior people, and you know lots of them that I'm talking about there. You know, the, with all the books that you've read, good grief! Can you imagine what it was like to have Leonard Reed as your personal friend and mentor, and yeah, <laughs> sit and jaw with him like this and such, and that you could pick up the phone and call him, and if he didn't have something pressing, that he would take time and talk to you, and yeah. so forth. I think it's, I'm as close to that as any uh, living man today could be. Yeah. 
Okay. I got your phone number. <laughs> well, well, well. I'm, all I'm doing is gathering seeds and trying to find fertile, fertile soil in which to plant them. That's all. Right, right. But you got to understand that uh, you plant the superior seeds in fertile soil, but you're also going to get weeds. And you got to recognize weeds. Well, if you get rid of the dang weeds, doesn't it, the superior stuff stand out like a sore thumb? Well, how complicated can this be? Good Lord. But therein lies the problem. People love to complicate things, don't they? Well, why? I don't understand. No, man. So you think the uh, <clears throat> the practitioners at the NNI will be able to continue to carry the message to the next generation? I have high hopes. We've seen some very, very uh, good uh, uh, candidates to come along. Uh, see, uh, we made a big mistake when we first uh, formed the uh, IBI. Uh, we uh, had it open to anybody that wanted to. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, I've been singing in choirs for 75 years and so forth. I had to quit here recently. That's been real painful for me to do that, doggone it. But uh, uh, our uh, minister of music at our church is one of those very, very outstanding people. He's the uh, head of the uh, School of Fine Arts at Sanford University. Uh, anyway, uh, here's this... Uh, pianist that had been with us for quite some time. He was a very young fellow. And uh, he's come along very well. Well, he wanted to go to the next level. Well, in order to do so, he had to meet with uh, a, uh, say, five people in the Department of Fine Arts there to go through uh, an interview uh, to determine whether he was a candidate or not. And so I suggested to uh, Carlos, Bob, and uh, David, that uh, that's what we should do. And so we adopted that immediately. And uh, we won't even let anybody go through the course until they've gone through a 30 to maybe an hour interview to find out what motivates you, what you want to do this for, uh, so forth. And uh, we've had to turn down some folks that uh, they just won't fit. What a shame. So... As a result, uh, the uh, candidates are getting better and better, and some, uh, some in the relatively recent past are spectacular. I mean, gosh, I wish I could live a few more years to see the results of them. Right. Yeah. He'll be on film in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the interview process. They have to do the coursework, Austrian economics, and uh -huh. then there's... Uh, you know, some education on life insurance that yeah. they didn't get from the home office yeah. or any of the insurance companies because this wasn't created by the insurance companies. It was discovered by you, sir. Mm -hmm. I saw something that they were leaving out and so forth. You see, the heck of it, going back to those Harvard MBAs as a result of it, all uh, home offices of life insurance companies uh, decided that they had to be everything to everybody. And there's no way that uh, that's not 
they don't understand the power of what they really have. They don't understand that, that uh, uh, what can be done with this thought process. Well, some of them are beginning to catch on out there today, and that's a glorious uh, feeling, but uh, it's not an overnight process with them because uh, they got to weed out a lot of the uh, old kind of thinking that they had there that dominates everything. It's pretty difficult to unlearn with. Oh, the hardest job in the world is to unlearn. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the content, leave us a like or a thumbs up. Share us with your friends. Give us some feedback. And we'll see you next time.